If you want to keep the book of Colossians open, we're going to be referring to it a little bit as what we do today is just get an overview and a sense for what the whole book of Colossians is about. I want to start by asking the question, can people change? Our world, our secular world, loves the idea of change. Transformational is a buzzword at the moment. And the change that our world has in mind is often an external change. Uh, We love those photos, those progress photos of people's transformation, transformation of looks, um, perhaps weight lost, muscle gain, new hairdos. We love the idea of change. Our world loves the idea of change, but our world loves a narrow idea of change. In fact, our world says that there are some things that can't change. In fact, there are some things that you should not change, particularly in the areas of sexuality. You can't change certain areas of sexuality according to our world. You're born like that, frozen in your genes. The Bible speaks also about change. It speaks about transformation. And I wonder, in some ways, the reason that our world loves the concept of change and transformation is because our world has been influenced by the language and the ideas and the concepts of the Bible, but has become detached. And so we have this idea of change, which perhaps we've received from the Bible, but we don't know much more than change as something that is different. You see, our world has this idea of change, but it's narrow. But the Bible's concept of change is not narrow. Now, the Bible's concept of change is not narrow and it's not superficial. The Bible's concept of change is profoundly deep and it's wide. The Bible places no such limits on areas of life that cannot change. In fact, the Bible encourages us to see all areas of our life as a project of change. Because if you place limits on those areas of life that can't be changed, as our world does, what hope is there for the despairing? The Bible is shot through with language like regeneration, of language of transformation, language of being reborn. And in the book of Colossians, this language is the language of new life. New life is the kind of change that the book of Colossians speaks about. New life is our claim and new life is our hope as Christian people. Real and genuine new life. New life in the Lord Jesus. A new life, we read in the book of Colossians, we have with all our imperfections with all our frailties, with all our sin. We're going to discover over the next 12 weeks is radical change that God is working in us. And we're going to see that the essence of the Christian gospel can't be be summarised, as some people say, as just um, a form of moral effort. To be a Christian is just to try a little harder 
in some areas of morality in life. Others say Christianity is just, well, it's probably best just to be a private kind of religion. Or others might think of Christianity as just a cultural legacy, a heritage. And, you know, we might participate in certain, you know, historical customs and rituals. We're going to discover the Book of Colossians has no room for a small version of the change that God is working in us. No, the Book of Colossians points Book of Colossians points us to this new life. And this new life that God has worked in us is a radical new life. In terms of the background of the Book of Colossians, we don't know the exact situation that has led to this letter being written. It would seem that Paul, in his missionary journey, had preached the gospel in a major town like Ephesus. And as he'd gone around the coast of what we know as modern Turkey, the gospel had spread. And it spread up to the area known as the Lycus Valley. And there in this valley was this small town called Colossae. We meet Epaphras in this letter, and Epaphras is from Colossae, and he had been converted probably from Paul's ministry, and he's gone back to his hometown taking the gospel there. And as he took the gospel back to Colossae, he took it back to, well, not to a Rome or Jerusalem, these large strategic bustling cities. No, Paul, no, um, sorry, Epaphras takes the gospel to this small town, which isn't even on a major road. In fact, they moved the road sometime after this letter was written and the city or the town of Colossae died out because it was essentially bypassed by another road. This is no mega city. This is a small town. But this, within this small town of Colossae, God has his people. And the Apostle Paul hears of this and cares for this work of God in this small town. Um, and he writes this letter, this letter that we know as the book of Colossians. And it would seem as though Epaphras has encountered some issues as he's there in this church. He's gone to Paul. And he's asked him some questions about some of the things that they're facing in this small church. And this letter is perhaps the result of that encounter. Uh, The apostles' instruction to this church, how to navigate through what is, um, what must have been very difficult for this small church with all the with all the power of the Roman Empire against them. It's a short letter that he writes. In fact, you can read it in 15 minutes. And I'd encourage you this week to take the time, if you're able to, to read the letter, perhaps in one sitting, in 15 minutes, and just get a sense for it. Because within this letter, we see that Paul makes some powerful punches. It's a short letter, but there are some punchy and extraordinary moments in this letter. In the letter, there are some ways in which um, really Paul speaks about the Lord Jesus that we don't see anywhere else in the New Testament. The height and the enormity of the glory of Jesus, like in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, are unique to this letter. 
And we see that Paul speaks in this letter of his mission and what he understands his purpose is as he seeks to take this gospel around the Mediterranean world. We see in chapter 2 that Paul contrasts how he speaks of the gospel with these ideas, uh, practices that this church is encountering. And these ideas and practices that this church is rubbing up against are not of the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but this church is being influenced by them. Perhaps they're tempted to take some of these ideas, thoughts and practices up. And so Paul wants to, in essence, contrast what is being offered as an alternate view of Christianity with the apostles' essence of Christianity. And what he, what he does is he points to the change that the gospel brings. The way in which Paul addresses some of these dangerous ideas, these influences that might um, come over, overcome the church, what he does is the way that he addresses it is he points to the change that's occurred in their lives, the way in which the gospel has already changed them, the way in which the gospel can also continue to change them. He points to the power of, gospel, of the gospel in its effect to change, as opposed to these false views, these false ideas which lack any power to change. He wants to point out in chapter 3 how they ought to live in light of the gospel, what they ought to put off and what they put on. And he finishes the letter in chapter 4 by sending news and greeting. See, this letter is about new life. It's about the new life that the gospel of the Lord Jesus brings to the life of the believer. These philosophies, these myths, these external pressures don't change. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus does and it has and it will continue and so that's Paul's point in this letter I want to ask to understand this letter really in two ways uh, firstly I want us to see that this letter is about new life but this new life begins and ends with God so it's about new life but this new life begins and ends with God. This new life that Paul speaks about, that has been given to this small group of people in Colossae, this new life is from God. You can see that there in chapter 1, verse 3. Why don't you turn to chapter 1, verse 3? Because Paul says there in verse 3, we always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Why does he thank God? Because he knows where their faith comes from. Have a look down in verse 11. It's God who strengthens. Verse 12, it's God who has qualified you to share in, in the inheritance of the saints. Verse 14, it's God who has rescued you from the dominion of darkness. You see who is at work here? God is at work. God is at work through the gospel of the Lord Jesus to qualify to rescue, to redeem, to forgive, to strengthen. This is where the new life comes from. 
Because if it was genuine new life, it would have to come from God. You cannot do what Paul is talking about here for yourself or by yourself. You cannot do what Paul is speaking of here through a ritual, through your own willpower, through some tradition that's been handed down to you, through your own collection of insights. What Paul is speaking of here, the way in which the gospel qualifies us, rescues us, redeems us, forgives us and strengthens us, this is a work of God. And what Paul speaks about as he speaks about this new life is he reminds us as we read this letter that our new life does not find its source in us any more than our own physical life is a product of our own ingenuity or our own means. No, the life that we have is from God. God is the source of this new life. And secondly, God is not only the source. It's not just from God, but secondly, it's for God. This new life is for God. This new life that God has given is not centred on ourselves, but it is centred on God, the giver. It is from him and it is for him. You see this in chapter 1, verse 10. Paul says there, and we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. See, what is, what is the point of this new life? Is this new life given so we might be able to feel a little better about ourselves, ultimately? No, this new life is given, verse 10, so that we may please him, that we may please God. He is delighted in us because of the gospel and this is our motive. This is our joy, knowing that our lives now in the gospel of the Lord Jesus please him. Not because of what we must do, but because of what we may do in living for him. And in many ways, this concept that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is not about us, it's about him, is very hard for us to hear. We live in a world where it's centred around the individual. Everything is centred around the person. You think about this with COVID. It's about your safety. It's about the individual. But here we're reminded that the gospel of the Lord Jesus is not about us primarily. The gospel of the Lord Jesus, in fact, frees us from ourselves. This new life is about being reconciled with God in Christ. Our new life is about our new life with God. You see, why have we been rescued? Well, verse 13 reminds us, for he has rescued us. And he could leave it there, because that is wonderful news. But the Apostle Paul doesn't leave it there. He says, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. This may be the very heart of the letter. 
Verse 13 is a profound statement because it reminds us that the new life that we have is a new life with God. That we have been rescued from darkness. But that's not all. We've been brought into his kingdom, the kingdom of the son he loves. And so this is a great reminder for us. Even though at this time we may be feeling weary, we may be feeling worn, but weariness and being worn are not at our core. We've been transferred from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. There has been a transformation in our lives that is immense if we could only see it. This sense of alienation has been addressed. We have been brought close to God. Later on, Paul speaks of this in uh, verse 21. He says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through his death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. The gospel of the Lord Jesus is about our rescue, but it's our rescue into a relationship with him, into his presence, unencumbered by any accusation so that we can enjoy him. And so firstly, we are reminded in this letter that this new life that we have in the Lord Jesus is from God, but it's for God. But it's not just from God and for God. It's also, this new, this new life also involves us. You see in chapter 2, verse 13, Paul says that when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. You see, there's a work that's gone on in us that involves us. It involves God's work in our lives to address the sin that's in our lives. The book of Colossians is going to remind us that we were dead to sin. The sins that we were dead to are no longer, no longer hold us. We are not dead in our sins, but we are now dead to our sins because of the Lord Jesus. The sin that has drained life from us, leaving us dead and separated because of the Lord Jesus. What is dead? Sin is now dead. And what is separated? We are separated from God. Once sin separated us from God, but because of the Lord Jesus, now we have been separated from our sin. And so we now, in chapter 3, verse 2, set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. Our inclinations, our affections, our dispositions have been changed. There is a new self, a new life that has come into the believer in chapter 3, verse 10. A new self that's being renewed in the image of its creator. Desires and hearts changed forever. See, God is at work and he's at work to transform us to take us from this dominion of darkness in the way that sin caught us and held us into this kingdom of light where we're free of that sin, where we put on acts of righteousness, where we live 
for the sake of God and for others than as opposed for just ourselves. You see, we have so much in this gospel of the Lord Jesus. There is so much potential in our lives for change if we knew just what we were sitting on. If we knew and if we continue to grow in our knowledge of the incredible spiritual transformation that God is at work in us. This is who we are. We're people who are being changed by the Lord Jesus to be beacons of light in our world. And yet our world has fine-sounding arguments. Our world puts before us what looks like wisdom. And this indeed was the issue within the church in Colossae. You see, what Paul wanted this church to do was in many ways nothing different to what they had done at the start. See, they'd heard the gospel of Christ and they trusted in him. And yet they were surrounded in a world where there were fine-sounding arguments, where there looked like there was wisdom out there and there was this temptation, this temptation to move away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus, the gospel of God's work in us, the gospel of sin being put away with, to another gospel. But Paul wants to remind them to continue to continue just as they've started. In chapter 2, verse 6, he says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. There's nothing fancy here. As Paul writes to the Colossians, he wants them to keep going in the same way that they've started. And friends, I think this is a great word for us as well. A great reminder for us that although there is in our world what appears to be fine-sounding arguments, things that can draw us away from our trust in the Lord Jesus. The Apostle wants us to continue, to continue in the Lord Jesus, to continue to live in him. And as we do that, I think what the Apostle Paul would say to us is what he said to the Colossians. The gospel bears fruit and grows. See, in chapter 1, verse 6, he's reminding this church in Colossi, Colossi, although they are small, that the gospel is at work globally, it's at work in the world, and it's at work in them. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing. And friends, isn't that what we want? We want the gospel to bear fruit and grow in us, in our lives, and in our church. We've been in lockdown and it can feel as though we're somewhat stagnated, Uh, somewhat stagnated in our own spiritual lives. Indeed, that there's um, perhaps good reason for that. We've been cut off in many ways from the fellowship of God's people as we would normally, um, as it would normally occur. But the Apostle Paul wants to remind us this morning that the gospel is bearing fruit and growing that we're to continue to remain in him, that we're just as we received Jesus Christ as Lord, we're to continue in him. And I'm praying as we read this book and as we're reminded 
of what Paul says. We're reminded of the change. We'll be reminded of the change that God has brought into our lives, the change he will bring into our lives and into our community. This is why Paul labours. This is why he preaches the gospel, because he knows that God's at work in him. And God is at work in us too. God's at work to change us through the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray that we might continue in him. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask as we begin this series looking at the book of Colossians that you might remind us perhaps of what we too often forget, of what it is to continue to trust in the Lord Jesus. And as we do that, Father, we ask that we would see the fruit that you might work within us, in our lives and in the life of our church. We pray it for his name. Amen. We're going to pray.